Welcome back to A Study in Granada. We are uh, between seasons right now, which means we have a bonus episode. Uh, so we're going to be very timely and do Enola Holmes, which came out last year. If we were on our ro- on a regular recording schedule, you know, we... <laughs> we were very excited because this was going to come out right as we ended last, this last season it on like, time. It could be like a month out, so people would have had a chance to see it, not get spoiled and all that jazz, but it'll be really timely. And then... Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're here to cover Enola Holmes, uh, starring Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill, others. Susan Wacoma is also here. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who I recognize is Mrs. Price from Foil's War. Uh, we also have Fiona Shaw, who uh, most people know uh, from this podcast. She was in The Crooked Man. She was the friend in The Crooked Man of the love interest, the woman, who best woman to hold God's breath between her lips, uh, who shouted a secret, is a promise is a promise, in a very loud room, and then in just her normal voice, told them that secret. Uh, also, um, Helena Bonham Carter is also here. Oh yeah, she was in this movie. She was technically in this film. Legally, she was in the movie. Uh, so this is the film that follows the sister of Sherlock Holmes, not the one you're thinking of from the BBC Sherlock. This one is not evil, I guess. Well, <laughs> she's she, relatively not. She evil. may be watching Noah Holmes. Yeah. Um. She heard their mother. <laughs> is this going to be the John Carpenter's sin oh, theory, boy. but uh, but for Enola Holmes? Uh, Enola's mother runs away on her 16th birthday? Yeah, about that. And Enola calls her... On her, her teenager's birthday. Yes. Her YAM's birthday. Her quinceanera. And um, <laughs> she calls her brother, Sherlock and Mycroft, to come help her. And they just kind of yell at her for a while. And, mm-hmm. Well, Mycroft does. Yeah. Mycroft scolds her for being slightly too feminist. Yeah. Yeah. And Sherlock, Sherlock kind of frowns about that, but that's about it. Mycroft scolds her for being a woman. A woman. I think he does actually say, oh God, feminism, at one point while looking through <laughs> her mom's stuff, which is very funny to me. Yeah. Um, Mycroft and Sherlock are much older. They're like men, like 30s, 40s, or whatever. Typically they've, how you would see Sherlock Holmes and Mycroft. Right. Um, so they've, they've been away, so they mm-hmm. haven't really checked in, which is, you know, there's estrangement things happening there. Uh, so, Mycroft decides to put Enola Holmes into a boarding school, women, finishing school, whatever it's mm-hmm. called, run by Fiona Shaw. So, she runs away uh, and meets... Go ahead, because I know you're itching to say it. Oh, ah, yes. Uh, Vicomte Trutesbury, Marquis of Baselweather. <laughs> uh, truly the most British introduction a person has ever made. And this, this child boy is like also... And this child is also of YA age, and so he's mm-hmm. his his titles take longer to say than he has lived in his whole life. One second, uh, I'm gonna go. So that I forget. Cool. All right. 
Um, where was I? Uh, oh, so she meets the Viscount Tuxperia Basil Leather. I, I don't care as much as Jackson does. That's fair. Uh, who is Nor fleeing his home. They jump off a train to escape Owen from Torchwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make it to London where she strikes off on Owen to find her mother. Plot continues to happen. Mm-hmm. Sherlock is around at some point as well. She saves Basil Tewksbury from being killed. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of running around things, a lot of solving of mystery things. Not a lot of solving of mystery things, I'll be, I don't think. I mean, she is technically doing things that are solving a mystery, but it's less... It is less of the kind of um, precise go-to-person, talk-to-them, gather-clues, eliminate-suspects thing, and more throw yourself into a situation where the problem is happening until you learn something about it and someone tries to kill you and you have to go into a new situation kind of thing. She's solving it by the transitive property. Yeah. I am doing this. I happen to learn about a mystery clue. Mm-hmm. There are some stuff. Like, she disguised herself as a, as a widow, mm-hmm. a 16-year-old widow, <laughs> to ask questions of the other people at Basil Weather. It's the Victorian era. Yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> Eek. Um, you're right. That's what makes it scary. The amount of times she also approaches a man in this movie is like, change clothes with me. Mm-hmm. This is very funny to me. Yeah. Uh, and for more and more spiritual reasons, like, occasionally it's a, this is a quick way to have a disguise that I need. It's just, I feel like taking this man's clothes. <laughs> I'm working through some gender stuff. Uh, she ultimately saves the Viscount Tewksbury of Baselweather from being murdered. They kiss. And then... She self-actualizes. Yeah, things. I guess, and lives in London. She meets her mom. Her mom's going to continue to go do feminism. Mm-hmm. She now lives alone at sixteen in London. Yeah. Uh, the the whole mystery is around keeping the marquee from voting on a thing that would be would bring the vote. Some, yeah. Uh, to, is a, it was like. Uh, some people feel that only like wealthy white landowner men should vote, and he was able to vote on it so that slightly less wealthy white landowning men could vote. Basically, um, that's progress. That's progress. Uh, yeah, let's jump in. We clearly <laughs> don't have much else. To... It's it is a relatively complicated movie, but not a lot of it is like us explaining it will not be as fun as watching. I will say, it's on Netflix. Give it a watch. I think that. If nothing else, it's it's pretty fun. It is a perfectly serviceable little film. I think also like if you have a kid who's at that like YA-ish age or middle grade age, um, especially a, a young girl, she'll probably have a blast. This is oh, definitely yeah. like I don't want to be like it's not feminist enough, but it, there are ways it could be stronger. But I think that if you are looking for a like empowerment film for young girls, this is perfectly fine. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got some issues as a film but like I definitely if I was a young girl no when I was that age if I'd seen a movie like this with like a boy in it I probably would have thought it was fucking rad yeah so like no shade like I I I have some problems with it as a movie I think or as a film rather as a movie it's fine yeah Mm -hmm. Um, I like worse movies than this Mm -hmm. I think it was Trying Gentlemen (laughs) Uh, so let's start we have here on our talking points two mysteries this really focuses on Enola, which is alone backwards, in case you didn't know, um, trying to find her mother, 
And then at some point, I guess, also trying to solve the Tewksbury mystery. Mm-hmm. It seems like she's trying to do this mystery, this mystery being her mo- finding her mother, while the Tewksbury mystery just keeps kind of like poking her on the side, like, solve me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think two mysteries works in this. Right. It equals to a lot of nothing happening and then a clue being found. Mm-hmm. It also... The mysteries are broadly not connected. It's not a fun thing where they like mm-hmm. all weave together at the end. Uh, it's more that there are these two tracks she's solving, and uh, one of them winds up being more of like an immediate threat. Yeah, and it's just like, instead of solving a mystery, she tries to solve one mystery while reluctantly having to do something, like work for a different mystery. Mm-hmm. And it is just a lot of like going to a place and looking around and being attacked and then she finds a clue yeah and not really solving a mystery i mean she does obviously at the end but it's really just kind of she keeps finding the clue that leads her to the next place and not really to an answer mm-hmm. i will say that her mom mystery kind of it fizzles out because the, the main like action climax of the film is related to the two spray stuff and mm-hmm. uh therefore not as invested in the um in the mom mystery so that is winds up feeling less important and also her mom just kind of shows up at the end. As we're making, I'll say, not blanket statements. Mm-hmm. There, this is based off a book. Yeah. So I would say it may, this may be covered better in the book. Mm-hmm. It may be done, like, woven together better in the book. I don't I don't know. So if that's the case, feel free to tweet at us, at in underscore Granada, mm-hmm. uh, with that information. So we'll know next time to, uh, I guess, I wasn't going to read the book. I'm not, I wasn't going to read a whole book for this. But, yeah. But we'll know that it was done better. I was going to, but then I... Just read Shadow and Bone instead. Fair enough. Uh, do we have anything else with this two mysteries? Um, I think as far as mysteries you could solve, it's uh, the Tewksbury one is. It's not. It is not so reliant on twists and turns as to be. It is not so reliant on twists and turns as to be annoying but it's also not like oh of course now that I'm watching a second through I can see how they put it through all along so right and coming off of I mean watching the Sherlock Holmes mysteries where there's usually some kind of reveal like twist this had a twist Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't one it was one that was revealed because they were just there Mm -hmm. like they found out that the grandmother is trying to kill him because she shot him while they were standing (laughs) there (laughs) and then she told him that she has been doing it so like Um, we do have... Did you want to go check that? Yeah. Thank you. the instructions who knows alright it's adventure cooking uh, so next let's go ahead and talk I see you made a note here uh, a kung fu too far yeah so um 
Uh, Susan McConnell, who we mentioned, is in this as a martial arts instructor who also taught Enola's mom. She teaches uh, Enola a few tricks. There's like a particular like grab and twisty the thing. The fish hook or something? The fish hook, yeah. That she hasn't been able to master. She, of course, gets it to, at the very end, naturally. Mm-hmm. Rule of three stuff. Killing Owen from Torchwood. Yep. Good riddance. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, she fully kills a man. This is actually kind of dark. That was her. Uh, um, and I'm. This isn't me being like this is a historical or whatever, but the uh, the martial arts stuff, the um, black woman running a not particularly secret martial arts dojo above a tea shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like it. Uh, how do I put this? I For me, it felt like she was a character from the book or books that recurs. And so they put her in here because that's just a lot of specific, like I'll say shticks, I guess, to put on top of each other. Like how Irene Adler shows up in everything now mm. in some form because she's like a named character in the series that right. people like. I wonder if this character was like that as well. I don't know if that's what you're trying to That might also be. Verbalize. It, this character feels incredibly vibrant and, li- and a little larger than life, in a, but also it, I feel like she's written in this way that is... Um, uh, she doesn't feel like she fits into this world. Because mm-hmm. um, the world is relatively grounded. Like, we have... Uh, the Holmes and all their nonsense, but even that is uh, comparatively grounded to something like uh, BBC Sherlock or even Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock, where they're like uh, bouncing off the walls all the time, but everybody else is, so it's fine. Mm-hmm. Susan McCombs kind of feels like she was uh, like someone was really excited about this like very kick-ass character, but didn't think about the ramifications of what a person like this living in the world would mm-hmm. do to the world around her. Uh, um, I have a note here. This could be a small monograph, but I liked her scene with Holmes where he shows up looking for either Enola or their mother. And she gives him like a, uh, I'll say a lecture, mm-hmm. but um, that he's talking about how he's entirely apathetic to politics. And she says, cause it perfectly suits his lifestyle not to care or to like for the, the way the status quo suits him perfectly. And even if he's not like, Oh, I love it. Like, he is not, there's nothing is about the situation lends itself to him getting up and trying to do anything to make it better for anyone else. Cause like, he's fine, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting take for like a Holmes thing for somebody like that. Why Holmes, he'll work with political leaders, but usually it's not like, ah, yes, this terrible deed done by another nation. It's more like we lost a naval treaty by gum. And he's like, all right, I'll find it. Yeah. It's more the thrill of chase than because he cares about yeah. the Navy. Yeah. Um, I agree. I think it's a good scene. And that's the kind of thing that leans into why I'm like, this would probably be a great thing if you are, like, a young person who doesn't have a lot of, like, uh, political savvy where this is, these are new things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it falls a bit flat because I feel like it... I don't know that it really goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, Holmes does change a bit, but it doesn't suddenly decide to, like, start champing the, you know, the rights of the poor yeah. or whatever. Or um, he doesn't decide, I'm going to move to Baker Street so I can be around, like low-income folks who might need me or whatever. 
let's go ahead then and pivot into um, the note I made. We're going to talk about Henry Cavill Sherlock Holmes. I don't want that to dominate the discussion of a movie that's ostensibly not about him. Right. Uh, but the movie he thought he was in is what I want to talk about. Because there's a bit where he sort of trudges around London looking for Enola or Eudoria, their mother. And visits places generally about 12 hours after Enola was there. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a bit where she gets put in a, in a the finishing school. which we can. I, I saw you made a note about that, which we can touch on uh, in a second too. But he talks to her about so, this other stuff and it's like, oh, I understand you visited the Tewksbury's uh, pretending to be my assistant or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he gets to the end of the movie where he walks into Lestrade's office and he sits down and he's like, I've cracked the case. The person trying to kill the, to, the, this is his grandmother. And he lays out like the whole Holmes case and um, he does this whole bit where he's like, I'm going to be Enola's ward now, not you, Mycroft. Like, I care now. And like, that's the movie that this was was not Sherlock Holmes learns to care about his family. It's Anola Holmes learns to fend for herself. Mm-hmm. And I just love that they put Sherlock Holmes, and Henry Cavill does a great job playing that. Of Henry, Sherlock Holmes thought he was in the movie where he learns to care and is still the hero and takes on Anola Holmes and grows and changes. And that is not what this movie was at all. <laughs> and it was very funny to me that at the end, where he's like very smug, like, you know, I solved it. And he's like, well, how did your sister beat you too? Or something like that. And he seems very proud of that as he leaves. But I just love that Holmes was like, I also, I care about my family now. I have grown and changed. I am definitely the hero of this. And then she doesn't show up to meet him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, interesting. I thought she'd take up me on my offer. <laughs> that's interesting. It's like, no, that's not what this movie was, Sherlock. You really have done remarkably badly. So this is going to be an odd poll. Yeah. And we might cut this if it doesn't go where, where I wanted to go. Who knows? Um, <clears throat> there's not a very good movie called Tall Girl on Netflix about a woman who's struggling with being tall in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh and at the end of the film, she gives this whole like big speech about how like how she's grown, how she's okay with who she is. At the middle of prom, unprompted, she sort of walks into the prom, goes up to the stage, and just lays it all out for everybody. It's almost like that was happening in a movie where she, we had not met that character before that, <laughs> <laughs> with the way that Sherlock is. Like he's just sort of yeah. also there. Um, but in a way that I think actually really works. It like I think that they use Sherlock just about the right amount. In this. Yes. That's the thing. Uh, listeners of this podcast obviously know like to what Jeremy Brett. And within the last like five months, I haven't let it go. They BuzzFeed or whatever put out a list of the top ten Sherlock Holmes of all time. With Benedict Cumberbatch being number one. Of and course. Jeremy Brett, ninth. Henry Cavill was fourth. <laughs> He's had 20 minutes of screen time as Sherlock Holmes and he was fourth. Mm-hmm. Oh no! I'm. I don't care. The the time we're staying in. I'm that pissed. <laughs> um, and like he's a pretty solid Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah, I would, definitely. I'd watch more things with him in it. Yeah. Um, I will say he's a little too hot for Sherlock Holmes to me. Like I feel like Sherlock Holmes should be like fine, but not like 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 women shouldn't be like looking at him in the streets and just like suddenly reaching up their ankles you know Jackson I've sat next to you while you have been thirsty for Jeremy Brett so yeah, I don't listen, really want to hear that from you Mike you know what I'm like I'm <laughs> I, my tastes are not normal I, never mind I was going to say I know your methods but I don't I'm cutting <laughs> that uh, that you make a valid point I guess I I will retract my my two hotness also I don't think you want to be on record as saying you think Henry Cavill's hot Oh, I didn't. Th- what I didn't think you did, and I thought that was a joke. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. well, we're cutting that. Sure. Um, <laughs> um, 
Uh, well, like, there are some pretty good Sherlocky scenes of him, like, uh, investigating his mom's house and mm-hmm. figuring out what's happening with that. And her and him, like, doing the questions and that kind of thing. They do a good job of having Sherlock, like, picking stuff up and, like, sniffing, like, dirt or whatever. Like, like a little bit on his fingertips. And then, like, later being like, ah, yes, and here's what that actually was. Mm-hmm. Which is the way I like when they reveal Sherlock Holmes stuff. I like in, in Granada where they'll have him do a lot of stuff. And then later he'll, like, give a, a little bit of, like, a talk of, like, well, when I was inspecting the carpet, I noticed this. And then, and then I looked at the trash can earlier, I saw this. And it was too heavy, whatever. Like, I like when Holmes, like, looks around for a little while. And we have no idea what he's doing. And then it's, like, brought into context later. And that's what happens here. And I think Cavill does a good job of just, like meandering around the room looking busy and then later it's like oh yeah here's like all the stuff I was actually doing mm-hmm. it's also great because Mycroft is talking through most of that and mm-hmm. so it lets Sherlock be doing a thing while someone talks which is a great way to do with a mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes investigation scene and is Mycroft being like <laughs> feminism <laughs> women women me and my mustache don't approve <laughs> um my mustache and I are going to our boys club Right. Our boys and mustache club. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, do you want to have a fourth ball race? Yeah, so um, this movie... I think because it's based off a book, and I haven't read it, so I don't know what the, what like tense the book is in. My guess is that it's probably there's a lot of first person in the book, and I think that they were trying to mirror that by having Anola, like talk to the camera a lot. And it wasn't awful. The times that they chose to use it, a lot of times were more for like... Like, it, a lot of the ex, fourth wall expo, exposition felt like, wow, pretty crazy situation, right? Yeah, that's me. I bet you're wondering how I got myself into this mess. Mm-hmm. It really felt a lot like that. And it wasn't anything like revealing about the character or anything. I'm going to use a weird poll mm-hmm. now. Sure. It's like in Lizzie McGuire where there's the animated Lizzie McGuire. And yeah, it's usually do what? Her inner goddess, yeah. Yeah. It's usually used for an effect where she'll like say something like, No, I'm not sad and then like the the anime will be like, oh, I'm not sad as like she's like a bucket of water stumped on her or to prove like, oh no, she's like crying. It's or that's the kind of thing I think that they should have done if they're doing the fourth wall breaks for something like this, but also like it's not that egregious. It's just more something I wasn't a fan of. Mm-hmm. Some of them are uh, kind of Enola being precocious in a humorous way that didn't always land. And mm-hmm. I think if they'd done it, maybe 40% less would have been stronger. I think using it for her being precocious a lot, like she'll say one thing to somebody and they kind of look at the camera and like shake her head. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead if you need to. Uh, I'll let you finish your thought on that. Um, if she was like being precocious and then like looked at the camera... And kind of like shook her head like, no, that's not true. Like we're seeing inside. And then one time she like says something like, oh, I'm so scared. And then like looks at the camera and is like clearly terrified. Her. That would have been a really good use of fourth wall breaks. Like the the inner like using, oh, no, she, we don't believe that because of what, the way she always like looks at the camera. And this time she looks says like, oh, see, she's not scared. And then she like is scared. Would have been a good way to use fourth wall breaks as well. Mm-hmm. But, so it was just kind of like running commentary. It was really just book exposition, which again, that's fine. It just didn't work for me. Yeah. There was a bit, I can't remember exactly what happens, but some character is being just entirely too British, and she just, like, glances at the screen, like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, bits like that are very funny to me. Yeah. Uh, it's when it's a little more subtle that it really works. For sure. Um, speaking of subtle, I actually, 
I forgot to put this as a talking point. I actually really like the um, Inola Tewksbury romance. Like, I think it actually, hmm. like, it works pretty well. They are a, like... I say a cute couple, it's, it feels weird because they're, like, children. But, mm-hmm. like, as far as, like, young teens having a romance thing goes, it actually works pretty well. It doesn't feel forced the way that, like, this sometimes can in YA stuff. Yeah, and there is a lot of just, like, they give each other cute looks and are like, don't look at me like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I like that. I like the Anola Holmes. There's a bit where they're in her room because sa- she saved his life or whatever. And she's like, she turns and she's like, you have to stop looking at me like that. <laughs> and it was very cute. It was, I don't know, it was actually pretty cute. I, mm-hmm. I agree. Like, I also don't ship children, <laughs> but I... <laughs> yeah. <It> feels weird <laughs> for, for me, a nearly 30 person. For the that. record, this podcast does not ship children. Right. Anyway. Uh, but also thinks that uh, teenagers should have the space to figure all that stuff out. Ooh, no. Uh... <laughs> Um, you have written down a school too far. We, I think we breezed oh, past that. Yeah, um, it's a minor thing. I feel like a thing that was like longer in the books, and they just had to leave it mm-hmm. in for whatever reason. Um, during the kind of inevitable, it's the end of the second act. Something bad has happened, and, and the character's at her lowest points and moments. You know, like it's finally shipped off to finish school, and we kind of just plot cul-de-sac there for about ten minutes, and then leave. That leads to the moment that I was laughing at, maybe the most. Or leads this, the moment I was laughing at leads up to rather, and it's where she's in the handsome ca- uh, carriage with Watson or Watson Mycroft, and he's like, "You didn't give our name, did you?" Or whatever. And she's like, "No, I like just let me out, and I, I won't ever use your name. Like I don't even want to be associated with you." And he goes like, "You will. You are my war." Like other, and she immediately starts full face crying, but in the way they're like, "Why are you yelling at me?" And it was the like. To me, it was the funniest, like, she is just shit-talking this dude to his face, and when he, like, gets angry about it, she really starts this, like, oh my god, why are you yelling? Crying, and, like, I'm not saying that for Mycroft. I'm just, like, it was very funny that she's just openly talking shit right to his face, <laughs> and when he gets angry about it, immediately the most, like, full facial, oh my god, cry was very fucking funny to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the... <clears throat> I get what the school thing is doing. We need to have her be away from the story for a bit while some other pieces are moving while she's not there. It just... <clears throat> it's a whole new location, and it isn't, I don't know if it does enough. Um, I Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah. I... Um, I think it would have been a lot stronger if she was hiding out with Susan Wacoma's character for a bit. Like, oh, yeah. bring that character back, let her talk about some self learns some Or she tries to go hide with her, and that, like, dojo's abandoned. Like, yeah. Because of whatever the Eudora plan is. It's like, she doesn't know anybody here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, the last thing I have that I want to talk about, well, I think will lead nicely into monographs, because it's not a big uh, thing. I wrote down the Eudoria slash Tewksbury Mysteries, mm-hmm. uh, which is my new show coming to Disney+. Plus. Um, but what I liked was that these were both styles. Oh, sorry. Really? Notice uh, you only cut me off to check the pizza, not when you're saying something. Well, I'm talking and so full of myself that I can't think of anything else. <laughs> I'm very vain, Mike. What? You're so vain. <laughs> uh, have you heard that song? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're so vain. You probably think this mystery's about you. Hey, we're getting somewhere. Henry Cavill. No. Um, 
I like that the the mysteries that we do are like the two styles of Sherlock Holmes mystery that we usually get in the series. Ooh, interesting. Uh, Eudoria's mystery is fed clues and told and oh, fed clues and told their clues. Mm-hmm. So like the ciphers she finds or the the flowers that her mom uses to like hide mi- like messages and stuff. Like she finds them and goes, this is what this clue is. And like, we move along. And then the Tewksbury mystery, uh, we're left to solve and then told after. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the information is gathered either by like an offhand comment or something somebody says in the background or things like that. And then at the end, they kind of pull those threads together and go, well, here's where the clues were the whole time. Mm-hmm. And those are generally, as far as I've seen, the two kinds of mysteries we get with Sherlock Holmes. Oh, I like where, that. I hadn't picked that up. Uh, here's the clue and this is what it means and then like ah yes but if you think about these five different things that we mentioned earlier combined of course that's the answer how absurdly simple yeah and like I said that's a point it wasn't really a monograph but it wasn't really a full point so I kind of thought put that at the end and use that to transition ourselves into monographs for sure I'm not going to make this gesture ever again <laughs> bless um, that's a very nope funny... we're not going to elaborate um, <laughs> so uh, speaking of monographs what do you have in the way of? Unless you have more you wanted to talk about. Um, uh, so they, they do a few like kind of fun like Monty Python-esque bits where mm-hmm. um, newspaper photographs of characters are moving around as you know, paper figures a la Monty Python. Mm-hmm. They're just fun. It's, it's cute. It's like it, a pop-up book kind of style. Yeah. And it's that kind of stuff is, is fun and heightened in a way that I think really works. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would not have minded more of it. I wrote down a note. I wrote, this is not a family. Um, it's just like, at no point did I feel like they were ever a family. I've talked, at least with you, uh, for whatever people think about out the Watchmen movie, mm-hmm. like, I believe that they were a superhero team at one point. Like, they have the right kind of ex, <laughs> disgruntled ex-coworker energy that this does not. Like, mm. Henry Cavill and Mycroft don't feel like brothers, even brothers that don't get along. Um, None of them feel particularly like a sibling, even if it's an overbearing or apathetic sibling. Like they just, this was not a good chemistry necessarily yeah. um, for what they were trying to do with the story, I think. But that's not really on anybody in particular. It just, they didn't click. And it can be hard to make that happen when you're uh, like, like flying into a place, you do a thing and you leave. And it's more okay when it's, uh, what is like, the older brothers and Enola because they're supposed to have been separated for right. a decade at least. But the brothers should have had more going on and they felt it it isn't quite there. I feel like there should still be a vibe between the brothers and Enola that like re- they are related. I can't I it, what I'm talking about is a very like ethereal quality. Mm. So I don't really know how to put in words like it just feels like she is talking to two men. It just feels like she's talking to two men, not yeah. like, oh, I'm related to them in any way. Like they could have put Susan Wakoma in instead of Mycroft, and it would have had the same energy. Well, no, because she would have been awesome. But right. like you, you know, you take my meaning. It could have yeah. been literally any other just character in the movie, mm-hmm. um, and it would have felt just the same. And that's, I think, not my issue. It just felt off. Like, no, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, I had one other one, unless you had anything else. Oh, this is incredibly small, but the uh, <coughs> uh, Basil Weather Estate is mm-hmm. 
a lot of really pretty old growth forest trees, and mm. I like that a lot. Also, um, that is exactly the environment you want to grow basil in because basil needs to have like a decent amount of sunlight, but also if it has too much, it will bolt pretty quickly. So having all these big old trees that can let sunlight in but are still going to give you some shade is a great place to grow some basil along the, the paths. My other, my other monograph was about the woman who's horny for getting paid. <laughs> I was going to talk about speaking of growing basil or something like that, mm-hmm. but uh, there's a woman in this who Anola first meets when she goes to buy a dress and a course and all this stuff to hide out in society as a society woman. And <laughs> this lady comes in and she's like bedraggled. Anola's bedraggled. Whatever, and she's like, uh, we don't serve your kind here or whatever. And Anola like pulls out a fistful of notes. Mm-hmm. And she just like licks her lips. And Amelia's is like, okay, that lady's horny right now. <laughs> and then she's like, I'm looking for a place to live. I'll pay top qual- I'll pay top dollar for quality. And she like gets the same face again. And then later... She rats out Anola because there's like a wanted poster for her, like a $5,000 or whatever reward. Mm-hmm. And the look on her face again. And at first I was like, this weird character who's just horny for money. And I thought about it. She's well to do. Every time we see her, it's the thought of getting paid mm-hmm. seems to make her horny. Not getting laid. It's it's not it's not the having of wealth. It's the... Acquiring. It's the, yeah, it's the acquiring. It's the, it's the experience of transaction. It's... The experience of transaction. <laughs> I knew you were a romantic at heart. <laughs> it is the um, it is the sordid matter of coin, as it were. <laughs> oh boy, uh, was it uh, enticements, metallic or otherwise? Mm. Well, um, a, or, a, a true, uh, a truly Ferengian sensuality. Everyone understands that reference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, or do we want to go into a must clash for this episode? I mean, I'm pretty sure there's three people. It's Mycroft, the Tewksbury's uncle, and Lestrade. Mm-hmm. Also, the Tewksbury's uncle is TM'd uh, band name. <laughs> or, I don't know, fantasy novel or something here in Underscore Granada. Mm-hmm. That's also our production company name now, apparently. I guess. I'll allow it. Um, and Lestrade, I think, is the third facial hair. Yeah. Uh, do we want to do a, a must clash? Do we on a bonus episode? It's been so long, gang. Um, I think we shouldn't enter in the, into the main competition. Oh no! I know this is sure. this is like the. Um, let's uh, let's pull up some characters out of um, canon. I guess I don't know what you'd call it. Um, uh, I think I would give it to. Uh, I think I would give it to Lestrade of the three. Sure, uh, I think that's fair. It's it's got it's like it zoops out and then it just makes some really big mutton chops like. Mm-hmm. Good big um I'm always a fan of the crisp Mycroft kind of style of mustache, mm-hmm. but I think if we're going with best facial hair, it's gotta be. I mean, the uncle has some kind of like kernel mustard, like pure white, snow white kernel mustard facial hair, but I think I like Lestrade's for the character that he plays of the sort of disheveled, disgruntled police office like police detective inspector, I think that that also with the munchhouse there's also a lot of like um um scraggly uh, like whiskers and stuff around the mutton chops that I think is a good look yeah I'm checking one thing real fast mm-hmm. um, we can't give it to Helen Bonham Carter <laughs> if we didn't give it to the Welsh woman from the Musgrave ritual for her whole personality and deal feeling I guess she wouldn't must clash we can't give it to Helen Bonham Carter although she does 
feel like she has a good mustache, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what we said about uh, Rachel something something from the Musgrave ritual, but mm-hmm. we still ended up giving it to somebody else. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I will say uh, Lestrade, Lestrade's actor is a man of color. Mm-hmm. He is, uh, uh, according to Wikipedia, born to a Pakistani father and Kenyan mother. Um, I don't have any opinions about Lestrade being a person of color, like pro or con. Yeah. I appreciate them giving this actor like yeah. some work. Well, Street is a character who literally race doesn't matter. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm sure that, that but still. I'm sure someone might have strong opinions. I don't have the nuance, and Street is barely a character in this. Yeah. Yeah. Street is barely a character. <laughs> be nice. I don't. I don't mean that to be mean. Like he is basically there to be like, this is interesting, isn't it? No, you're wrong, you idiot. <laughs> oh shit, you were right. Like <laughs> that's true. I don't mean, and again, I, I don't dislike Lestrade. I just mean, he's not really a character. True, he's not a nuanced person. How do we end up having a conversation about Lestrade in Nola Holmes? It's um, a living. It's a living. Anyway, that was Nola Holmes. It's on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if there's plans for a sequel. I, I wouldn't mind if there was one. That sounds fun. Uh, let me, before we go on, I want to make sure. Sure, sure. Uh, while Mike is looking up a thing, uh, there, How dare are, you. there are plans for Anola Holmes 2, directed <laughs> by Henry Barber. Uh, Jack Thorne will rec- return as the writer. Um, uh, it is in the works. That was announced uh, pretty recently, actually. So, yeah. Well, that's it for our episode on Anola Holmes. Jackson, do you have anything to plug? Uh, nothing really plugging right now. Oh, actually, sorry, I do. Um, uh, I. <laughs> Sorry, me the face. I got very excited because I thought you were going to say Curtis Pausing was coming back. Oh, no. <laughs> then I realized what you were going to pitch yeah. or plug. Yeah. Um, uh, I stream uh, uh, King Arthur and the Knights of Bettergrain uh, on alternate Wednesdays. Um, you, you can find that on Twitch. Uh, we'll have we'll a, link a link in, yeah. in the description. Um, it is a uh, dark story about truly some of the worst nights in uh, in the northern part of England uh, failing our way upwards it's a lot of fun y'all should check it out I'm going to uh, go ahead and mention my podcast The Equalizers with my friend and previous guest Madison Jones where we take movies that never got sequels together because they're very good and they don't need one they're very bad and they don't deserve one and we come up with ideas for them as you're hearing this we uh, have definitely dropped Boss Baby to Colin Grifter Baby and uh, we probably have gotten to Jack, that episode hasn't released as we're recording this uh, Jackson uh, Jackson is sitting down which is probably a good call um, we've also maybe released Madison's sequel to Johnny Tremaine if this is after July 4th for sure uh, but you can find us everywhere online by searching the equalizers there'll be a link in the show notes as well uh, thanks for joining us uh, and we're ready to meet like go for that next time I don't really have a smooth intro because I have not read or seen The Devil's Foot. Mm. Or no, I mean, I have not read or seen The Silver Blaze. I don't remember which one's <laughs> uh, We hope you join us for that one. Until then, we're ready to meet thy go.